Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome to our Going Deeper episode this week. We are so excited to have with us today Dr. Chris McKinney, who is an archaeologist and an expert in the realm of the Israelites' exit from Egypt, their wandering in the desert, the tabernacle. We're going to talk about a lot of these really interesting things that we've been reading about in our walk through the Bible. So welcome, and let's get started. So um, Dr. Chris McKinney, I'm going to address you as Chris, but I want to emphasize your amazing uh, background. Uh, you have a PhD from Bar-Lon University, and you have a master's degree from Bar-Lon and another master's from the Jerusalem University College, where I also attended, although many years earlier than you did. And um, I know you're an adjunct uh, faculty member of several universities, and um, I appreciate you're also an ordained minister and um, involved in church leadership. And, you know, I have here your 16-page CV of all your archaeological experience and all the papers and scholarly works that you've written and co-edited and it's just so impressive, and uh, we are so appreciative of you giving of your time today uh, to be with us. So a warm welcome to you. Thank you very much, Susan. And it's my pleasure to, to be on the podcast and to offer any insight to uh, what I consider just to be a fascinating uh, section of the Bible. You know, uh, this year, you could say that last year, in the, within the last 12 months, I celebrated 40 years since I landed in Israel to start my studies, and the organization that I've spent my lifetime with, the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, celebrated their 40th anniversary. So 40 is a really important year to all of us right now, and yet we see that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years, and I think you've got some special insight there as well. So please share with us the significance of 40. It's really no coincidence that the story in Genesis has a river and a tree of life, and we have that showing up in the tabernacle, we have it showing up in the temple, we have it showing up in prophecy such as Ezekiel, um, you know, the river that goes through, and of course it ends with that, where we have in the book of Revelation, where we have the tree of life and the river once more. And so it's just, it's, and that's, again, that kind of leads me into what I'd like to talk about, uh, what I talk about next is just how this is a this is a compelling, rich story with a beginning and an end, and all kinds of beautiful literary uh, uh, conflicts and resolutions and heroes. Um, but but thankfully we know the beginning and the end of the story, and we can have confidence in uh, the end of, of of the story. And one of the the real interesting aspects that that I think is. Uh, so fascinating about the the biblical story in this time frame has to do with what you just alluded to and this this idea of the forty and so maybe I'll, I'll kind of pick up the story and end with you know what happens to the Israelites 
And then we'll talk about a little bit about the uh, the Jordan River, because that is really this this nexus of uh, that that 40 thinking, as well as the typology that we have between a number of Israelites, uh, Israel's prophets, let's say. And so after the uh, the 40 years that Israel spends in the wilderness, of course, it starts with um, them rejecting the bad report or following the bad report, I should say, of the spies. You know, the two give uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb give the, the good report. The, the 10 don't, uh, which I always like to say, well, when Joshua sent spies to Jericho, he only sent two. You know, you only need two. Uh, you don't need 12 anymore. Um, so after that, God curses them and says that your this generation will spend 40 years and they spend 40 years wandering. Most of that wandering likely took place between Kadesh Barnea uh, and the area of the modern uh, Gulf of Aqaba, we sometimes call the Red Sea. And at the end, and it even has, you know, at the very end of this, on the 40th year, we have this, uh, this situation where we have boom, 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 death of Miriam at Kadesh Barnea, right after that death of Aaron on Mount Hor, uh, which I think is at probably near Maktesh Ramon, which is this beautiful vista. And then they head north, and this is where they enter into uh, to Jordan. After they defeat uh, the various enemies, Sihon and Og, and Moses is kind of giving a second version of the law, what we call the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses uh, on another mountain, in this case, Mount Nebo, overlooking the Jordan River. And his uh, he's still vigorous and his eye is still working and he dies because of his disobedience. And so we have the end of this whole process with these three leading figures dying after these 40 years. And of course, they go to the Jordan. We have the passing of the the control from Moses to Joshua. He's now the new leader. And we find him having the people take up the tabernacle, take up the Ark of the Covenant, the waters, uh, the, the, the priest carry the, the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan. The Jordan is cut off uh, probably towards the center of the Jordan River at a place called Adam, uh, which is uh, actually the same place likely that Jacob came in uh, when he came into the land of, of Canaan. And they cross over on uh, on dry land and they do a lot of other things. But one of the first things that's, that I would I would like to, to point out is that what we have with Joshua, once he's now the leader, we have a very important bookend. Uh, sometimes people call it inclusios, you know, the ends of the, the, the envelope, the bookend of the entire Exodus event. Because not only do we have the Exodus event beginning and ending with a uh, with a uh, 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 a, a crossing of, of the waters that is divine, you know, from from, from God Himself uh, given, you know, to, to cross over with with the Red Sea and of course the Jordan River. But we actually have another bookend because what's the first thing that happens to Joshua when he crosses over and they've encamped? tabernacle is set up. Well, we have him encountering uh, this mysterious figure, uh, this commander of the Lord's hosts. Uh, and he seems to be more than just simply a uh, an angel because he says, take off the sandals because the ground you are standing on is holy ground. Well, anyone who's paying close attention to the story and not just reading these as, you know, trying to find devotional value out of every verse, they can point back 
to the beginning of Exodus, where we learn that Moses was wandering around the desert uh, in the area of Mount Sinai and encountered a burning bush that would not burn. And he's told from God out of the bush to take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And so what we see then is just a connection between these stories. It's all part of this cohesive story. Now, what is even more interesting is that how this story, and in particular the Exodus, is going to play a role all throughout Israel's history. Because what we see then is Moses dying, the lead prophet dying on Mount Nebo, his body uh, being taken away perhaps mysteriously. It's kind of hinted at in the book of Jude, and then the passing of the mantle to Joshua. But then, if we fast forward a couple hundred years, we're going to encounter another set of two leaders or two prophets from Israel. Their names, Elijah and Elisha. And they're going to come to precisely the same location, the Jordan River. And it's going to be there where Elijah is going to tell Elisha, you know, go away. You don't have to stay with me. I'm going to be taken up. And Elisha says, I'm going to stay with you. And so Elijah, those of you remember in the story, takes off his, his mantle, touches the water, and it, and it parts. They cross over on dry land. And as they're talking, Elisha says, he says to, you know, if, if um, you know, Elijah actually asks him, if, if um, well, what can I do for you as I'm about to be taken up? And Elisha says, if you will, ask that I will have a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, well, if... Um, that's a hard thing, but if it's going to happen, you'll see me as I go. And of course, as they're talking, he is taken up in the whirlwind, uh, precisely in the same location where Moses's body is taken. And actually later, the sons of the prophets say, well, maybe he was thrown on some mountain. Well, why are they saying that? They're connecting it with Mount Nebo. Uh, but then Elisha, of course, takes up the mantle. Uh, that's where we get the term, you know, take up the mantle. Uh, and then he crosses over the Jordan once more. And over the course of his ministry, he is going to, uh, he's going to uh, do, according to the book of Kings, twice the amount of signs that Elijah does. Well, if we fast forward to a third one, and maybe you can see where I'm going with this, we go to the same location, the Jordan River, and here we have a guy with another mantle. He's a prophet. He likes to eat locusts and honey, and he's calling people to repent and be baptized in the Jordan River. His name, of course, is John. And when he comes to the river, his cousin, Jesus, of course, comes to him. And one of the things that, according to uh, the different versions, it's in all four Gospels, uh, but according to Matthew, which I think is the most clear, uh, John says, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal. Now, he's saying that course, because it's true. He knows that he's greater, but he could be alluding to, well, it was in this area where someone had to take off their sandals, uh, Joshua, when he encountered this holy one. And so there could be that connection uh, also that we have there. Uh, and then we also have this interaction in the very place, in the very waters, he is going to be baptized, Jesus by John. And he says, let it be so now, this is, again, Matthew's version, to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean by that, to fulfill all righteousness? Well, I think there's a lot of different answers you could give, but one of the clearest ones is the typology of everything that's around them. 
Moses on Mount Nebo directly above them, Joshua receiving uh, the Spirit uh, in, in the case of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Elijah being taken up. Uh, and so all of that, again, if you're standing there, um, would have been well known to the um, to everyone who was there because they who knew their Bible, who knew these stories. And so as Jesus goes down in the water, what does he see? He sees the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. So just in the same place, we have these symbols, the symbol of the dove, which of course could also be connected with uh, things like Noah, which is also a story about water salvation. But it has the symbol of the spirit with the dove, the Ark of the Covenant in the case of Joshua, which is where God's spirit was, was resting, as well as the mantle of Elijah and that gets passed to Elisha, because in that context, they are considered to be the true chariot of Israel, the Spirit of God in all three places. And so you can see these, these deep intertextual connections that are just right there for us to see if we know our Old Testament, our Hebrew Bible, and we're seeing it and reading it through that lens. And when I see those kind of things, I just say, who can make this stuff up? Like if we, if we talk about, exactly. you know, I mean, I, I, like to, I like to make the point, it took Tolkien his entire life to make a totally fabricated, fascinating set of fantasy stories that until today is considered to be the best literature of the last hundred years. And then it took his son, Christopher Tolkien, who just passed away, uh, another whole lifetime, thankfully he lived into his mid-90s before he passed away, to produce everything else that Tolkien never, his father never finished. And it's fabricated by two guys. Here we have a story that is written by dozens, if not more, uh, men, perhaps women, over this time period uh, that is crafted and put together by God for these apex moments of just unbelievable courage, heroism, and just glory, where you have these things, and all illustrating, you know, that this person who is here among you is greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha. And then you could go on in the story and, and point out how you know Jesus does much of the same thing Elisha does. He he uh, raises uh, a, 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 a child from the dead on the same mountain that Elisha does. He uh, heals lepers, one that's a foreigner, just like Naaman, and we could go on and on. Uh, but those connections are so important. What really gets me excited is not just that the biblical writers are bringing this out. I think it's fairly clear that, at least in my opinion, that Jesus himself is aware of these. And he is seeking to not only know these stories and, and point to these stories, but to surpass them in his ability to go and fulfill them. And so that, to me, what it means to fulfill all righteousness. Now, all of that's kind of set up for what your question was, which was the 40. Uh, because what happens is as soon as, as Jesus comes out of the water, it says that the Spirit which he now, I'm not saying he didn't have before, but he has it in, let's say, a particular special way at this point. He's driven into the wilderness, which is most likely the Judean wilderness, the same wilderness that anyone who visits Israel and goes to the Dead Sea has seen. Uh, he goes up into the wilderness and he spends 40 days and nights without water and he's tempted by the devil. Now, throughout that process, as he's tempted and given these different uh, temptations, he quotes Deuteronomy and the Psalms back to the devil. Deuteronomy, of course, was written 
right there. And it was written with this idea of covenant faithfulness. And sort of at the heart of Deuteronomy is the Shema. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which, by the way, Jesus would say is the greatest commandment. Um, and he's, he's doing all of this, again, 40 days and nights without water because he is People always say, well, how could he have done that? Well, it's clear he has the spirit and just in the same way he could do it, so could Moses because Moses did the same thing on Mount Sinai. When he goes up and he's feeding on the presence of God, he's sustained by the presence of God without food or water when he's up on, um, on Mount Sinai. Uh, now, before we move on with this, one of the things that I'm so fascinated by about that story the last temptation, at least in Matthew's version, is it says that Jesus is taken up to a high mountain by Satan. And he says, uh, Satan tempts him and says, you know, bow down to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And of course, he resists and he, he uh, says, you know, you, 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 he quotes scripture back at him um, and there's all kinds of things we go to, in, you know, in, in understanding that. But that's also really similar to what happened with Moses. Moses's last view of the land is from Mount Nebo, the highest mountain around, and he sees this whole vista of the land of Canaan that he's not going to be able to go in and dwell in. Uh, and so, so Satan kind of does the repeat uh, and, and just and, and Jesus passes the test. And so Jesus actually surpasses what Moses was able to do. He's obedient in every piece of the detail. And he's also obedient uh, like Israel, because Israel, too, faced 40 years in the wilderness uh, and yet uh, grumbled and complained again and again. Jesus goes through that as God's son, just as Israel is God's son, and completes that task. Now, the third one, again, we have to go back to these three groups. Elijah, after his great mountaintop battle on Mount Carmel, Jezebel says, I will not sleep until I kill uh, uh, Elijah. And so he hightails it south. He goes to Beersheba. He leaves his servant and keeps on running. And when he, he finally comes to the place uh, where there is a broom tree, in Hebrew, the word uh, for broom tree is, is rotem. Um, and what's so interesting about that is the first place that the Israelites were, once they come near the area of Kadesh Barnea, is also called broom tree. It's called a place called Ritma. And it's there that they are going to encamp before they go into the land of Canaan. It's there that Elijah is going to receive bread and water from the Lord. And it says in the power of that that God had given, he goes, you guessed it, 40 days and nights traveling to Mount Sinai, where he hears God's voice, the still small voice, even though he sees the, you know, all the different things that come before him and he gets the revelation to uh, to continue the story, of course, to pass the mantle to Elisha, uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 move the kingdom from from Ahab and his sons to uh, to Jehu, and also to anoint a king uh, named Hazael. And so it's the same idea, though the idea of this forty being so crucial. And so Jesus picks up on all this and surpasses it. Now, really, lastly, uh, it's no coincidence then that when we get to one of the key moments in the biblical story, that we're on a high mountain and we're hearing God's voice out of a cloud, that we have these three main figures all together. Moses, Elijah, the prophets, and the son. 
And we have God saying out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Uh, that it's, 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 a, it's not a put down to Moses and Elijah, but it's putting them in their place, as it were, in connection with these three groups. And that's kind of at the basis of typology. It's always to surpass and go beyond. And then we could even say Jesus in that story in Luke 9, he says that he's going to go to Jerusalem to make his exodus. Uh, it's what it says in Greek, to make his exodus, which refers, of course, to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. When he goes to, to yet another mountain and he ascends, there are these two men in white shining robes, which uh, it's debated, but could also be Elijah and a Moses, a Moses. Normally it's associated with angels. And what do we have? We have Jesus ascending and it mentions the cloud, the same cloud imagery of that God has. Um, and so it's just this beautiful story that has these apex moments um, that, you know, I always get choked up and get the goosebumps when you see Aragorn going to the last battle or even in these Marvel movies, uh, whether it's Iron Man at the end. Um, and the Bible does those and does them so much better because it's actually true. It actually happened uh, and it means something to your life. And so I just hope you enjoy these stories as, as, we're, as we're reading them and understanding them and seeing these long distance connections that to me is such a, uh, such a thrill to just see as literature, but to see that it applies to me, that I'm part of the story. You know, that, that, that those who follow the king, um, that he is the one that we can all bow the knee to and enjoy forever. And it's just, again, so encouraging uh, to be able to read it in that way, to, to actually feel free to enjoy in the Bible the things you already enjoy in literature and in film. And Chris, I say all the time exactly what you said. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and yeah, when, yeah. You, when you realize that there's just designs here, there's spiritual principles that we see acted and then reenacted. And in Jesus' 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, such a reenactment of the 40 years of wandering and the temptation of the Israelites in the wilderness. And who... Who would make that up? I mean, you can't make this up. But God is yep. working out this beautiful uh, divine plan and design uh, through all of this. And that's why I just, I say the Bible is the most exciting book on the planet because of its accuracy, but because of the, all of these uh, patterns and the, the depth, the spiritual depth of it. And um, and so we just want to thank you for sharing with us from such a, a place of knowledge and of expertise and uh, to share with us your excitement over the Bible and over uh, the, the stories and the accuracy of it. So uh, we just want to thank you for giving up your time and sharing with us today. And once again, we link in the show notes to the uh, Gesher Media Project that he referred to. And, and as soon as you have your documentary done, uh, Chris, please come back and talk to us further about the tabernacle and the temple as you'll be covering it in this documentary. So thank you. Thank everyone for joining us. Uh, see you back in a few days for Walk Through the Bible. And until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, 
or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.